0: BAK empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Back to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to back, BAKKT.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at Exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very special episode of The Scoop, special enough to pry me away from my my tie by the pool. Without further ado, happy to introduce the folks on the other side of the mic. We have two heavy hitters from Coinbase. We've had a lot of luminaries from the firm, from Emily Chow to the CPO back on during the Bison Trails acquisition. And now we have the two heavy hitters from the institutional side, Brett Paul, head of institutional sales and Greg Tusar, Vice President of Institutional Products, Brett and Greg. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having us, Brett. Great to be here. Yeah, super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, this is really exciting, Brett. I don't think we've spoken via voice since you joined in April. I think, you know, not because I'm I'm annoying or talk too much. I think you've just been really heads down. And clearly, we've seen the fruits of your labor. Greg, you've also been heads down, but we were able to you know, convince you to do one of our webinars not too long ago. Um, so let's just start very broad because there's been a lot going on at the firm. How's business? It's phenomenal. In fact, it's, it's hard to describe how exciting it is
2: to see how quick institutional adoption has formed. Some quick stats. When I joined in April, we had a small sales team of, call it six, seven people, assets on platform for the institutional business were about 3 billion and trading volumes on the OTC desk were about 20 to 30 million a month. If you fast forward till now, the sales trading and prime team, the client facing teams, it's about 60 people. Institutional revenue is quite significant and so institutional assets on platform are roughly 50% of all the assets on platform including retail our trading volumes are, you know, in excess of two to three billion a day. Our client base has grown from three thousand to, you know, over nine thousand. And by type of client, uh, and maybe that's been the most impressive thing that that stands out. But it feels to me like every client segment is really sort of red hot. Whereas before it was probably the the early adopters and hedge fund land and pensions and endowments. But now, as you've seen through our disclosure, we've got public corporates, private corporates. Even the large traditional asset managers, even the traditional incumbents in banking and in private banking, payments platforms—it's quite incredible in terms of the who's who that we've been able to onboard.
0: Greg, maybe you can walk us a little bit through how Togomi, which was acquired by Coinbase, which you helmed as co-CEO, how has that kind of plugged into the broader institutional business and kind of supplemented some of the things that were already underway?
1: Yeah, that's a great. Great question, Frank. Thanks. I um. So we consummated that transaction just a little more than a year ago. It was August of uh, of 2020, and have really spent the last year integrating what Togomi brought, which, as you know, was advanced trading tools and techniques and technologies for the foundation for its own prime brokerage offering, and married that together with Coinbase's invest in class custody. Business and that's been the foundation for Coinbase Prime. I think you saw earlier this year we did an alpha release of that and a beta release, and and actually I'm excited to to tell you that today, in fact, and I, I don't know that we timed it this way, but today is our GA of the Coinbase Prime release. So that really is again the marriage of advanced trading, ability to use algorithms, smart routing, aggregated access to different pools of liquidity, integrated tightly together with the custody business. And then we've begun the process of building some advanced financing on top of that as well. And so the marriage of trading, finance, and custody are the three important elements of the Coinbase Prime platform.
0: Yeah, I think we talked about the beta launch of that, um, but let's walk the listener through exactly what that means. I guess effectively now a client can come to Coinbase and instead of having to maybe talk with person X and person Y about doing custody and about doing Trading across venues, they can all do that through one platform.
1: Through one platform, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, we've built we built the ability for multiple people within an organization to participate in the various parts of the trade lifecycle. The ability for some people to be trading and have access to trading functionality, other people to be operators and being responsible for. The custody operational bits, the consensus, and those sorts of things, all operating in concert, which which are the sorts of controls that a an institution would expect of a prime brokerage platform. And so, those are some of the most important parts. And I think what's been quite appealing to people is to have all of those parts integrated. I think, as you were pointing out, historically somebody would go to a dealer to you know to do a trade, have a separate custodian, have a separate place to go, and And finance your positions and i think integrating all of that into a single simple workflow has been part of the growth story of the whole institutional space over the course of the last year it's been part of what's enabled corporates and others to do transactions of the size that they're doing and i also think a big part of that is the advanced execution tools and the ability to to enter and exit the market in a stealthy way using the same sorts of techniques that you'd use in, in equities markets or, or trading on the run treasuries or G10 currencies being brought into the crypto markets is what's enabling institutional capital to enter.
0: Yeah. So we kind of walked through the product. Um, Brett, if you want to touch on on that for a second, go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to frame it like this. when Back in April,
2: uh, when I joined, the value proposition was buy, sell, store, right? The acquisition oh. of Tagomi was the catalyst to bring in a swath of of active traders that, through the agency model, were comfortable doing really large size. So that if, if version one was buy, sell, store, version two became buy, sell, store, finance, stake, consume data, and analytics, that's where we are today. The third yeah. version of that, which is on its way, and I can't tell you what the timing is is the formation of the derivative market, which then will include all the things I mentioned, plus derivatives, futures, options, swaps, structured products, and then layer on NFT, and then layer on other solutions for uh, introducing brokers, including things like commerce and payroll and Coinbase Analytics. So you can see just from the breadth of the product platform, all of a sudden Coinbase Institutional is a very wide offering and so i can frame it a little bit more if you want to know sort of i guess i'm thinking to the sort of different buckets for the for the what because i i think this is a lesser known thing about the rapid development of our platform should i expand on that
0: yeah i think given how much has been happening on the radar i wanted to talk a little bit about the client profile but if there's more aspects of the product that aren't well known let's let's focus maybe in on the financing how did we get to that point it's been a topic i've been focusing on for a while a lot of firms that are trying to be this one-stop shop have yet to get that element, and then also the derivatives element that you're talking about. How did we get from point A to, to now finally point B on the financing side? It, it was really just driven
2: completely out of client demand. So, so the notion of a hedge fund having to pre-fund every time they trade. It's just super capital inefficient. It's just otherwise inefficient. So if you want to trade on headlines or trade on systematic models, if you don't have capital sitting on different exchanges ready to execute, you can't do it. And so as we brought on more and more hedge funds that wanted the ability to trade actively, they needed to have a line of credit to be able to trade in, in that moment, right? Buy instantly, sell short instantly. And so the financing business on the institutional side was born out of necessity. And so that's that's really how um, it got set up. And now we have quite a number of hedge funds and other types of active traders that have dedicated lines of credit that they can move swiftly and in large size. And so that's yeah. really, you know, that trend continues to, to build for sure.
0: How did the clients get there? And this can be a question for both of you. How did the clients go from sort of not necessarily being interested in crypto, you guys cover, I I think we reported, this came out of your, one of your earnings, one in 10 of the largest hedge funds are clients of Coinbase in some capacity or partners with Coinbase in some capacity. But if we rewind the clock, and Greg will remember this, two, three years ago, the institutions weren't so interested in, you know, Brett, kind of you came in right after that sort of, you know, crypto winner, so to speak, bringing with you 17 years of institutional coverage experience, spanning credit, commodities, and digital innovation. So clearly there was a shift. Large hedge funds, for some reason, saw an opportunity in this market. Other different types of large corporates also saw an opportunity. But how did you guys over the past year, let's say, convince them that Coinbase was the platform for them? What did that sales process look like? And what did you guys borrow from sort of your different careers on Wall Street.
2: The, the catalyst for, you know, there's the things that happened outside of Coinbase, right? And there was a whole bunch of catalysts that made crypto an attractive asset. There's the things that sort of are, are more in our control.
0: Yeah, the let's things, delineate, let's, let's bifurcate those, the things that sort of Coinbase did and then things that happened in the market that have made you guys so successful. So the things that Coinbase did, the institutional business
2: is purpose-built for the type of institutions that the two of us dealt, have dealt with our whole career. And so the fact that Greg created Tagomi and he did it in in the way that he did it with the agency model and the ability to have a lack of perceived conflict or real conflict. So we're not making prices at the same time that we're routing to ourselves, right? And so these deliberate ways in which we set up the business allowed for institutions to do really seriously heavy due diligence on us and then pass with flying colors. And so being familiar with what that looks like is important. And so, you know, there's more to the story here about setting up the business to be purpose built for you know, institutions. We struggled a bit, to be honest, to do rapid onboarding. We struggled a little bit with the client service provision. Uh, now we've hired 60 account managers that actually deal with active wow. clients on a day-to-day basis. And so that went from nothing to 60 uh, on his way to, you know, a greater number. Maybe it's it's worthwhile just for a second to zoom out for a quick second and talk about the... The question you asked before which is you know what are the clients doing and, and why i'm going to bucket it into four buckets of what they're doing and then I'm going, to, I'm going to name who's in that bucket the first bucket is direct investment activities right so that's deploying capital directly on the Coinbase platform and that's the thing we'll spend most of our time talking about and there we've got you know hedge funds pensions corporates asset managers family offices and a swath of progressively larger and larger and more sophisticated institutions that are coming to Coinbase. Some of the reasons why they're coming to Coinbase is, is now that we're a public company, in addition to being you know, well capitalized, well funded, but being a public company and coming with all the rigor that that requires is a catalyst for us to continue to win you know, more mandates. The second bucket and this is the thing that we're lesser well known for uh, and building our profile in the space is is an eclectic bucket which i call um, introducing brokers and it's really it's the business to business application of where a third-party business wants to use coinbase's infrastructure to power their own crypto capabilities and that you know the who's who there is a bit eclectic right it's private banks it's providing our ability to act as a, as a subcustodian for traditional custodians, it's payment platforms, it's messaging services that wanna use wallet infrastructure. It's an eclectic mix, but it's a really important way to activate other types of institutions in the crypto space. There's two more buckets. Um, the third bucket, I, I grouped together stable coins. Stable coins, there are a few people that, in terms of the who, have arrived at our door saying, you know, we're, we're an insurance company, we're not necessarily interested in deploying capital into bitcoin per se but actually when we think through the the utility of a stablecoin we could maybe collect premiums with stablecoins you know following a cat bond event we could distribute payments into digital wallets and we move lots of money around the world so so that part of it is in its nascent formation but stablecoins is again opens the world up into a lot of use cases on payment platforms and banks and people that you wouldn't necessarily associate with being bold and interested in deploying capital into crypto. And the last, the last bucket, and this is you know uh, definitely you know Brian Armstrong wrote that blog about DeFi, and we're supporting like the future of finance, right? Smart contracts, DeFi, the formation of NFTs. When you begin to talk about that, all of a sudden it goes super eclectic in terms of the who's who mm. uh, that's interested, and we have. Just incomings that it's hard to keep up with from sports franchises to artists to all the people that you've already identified as being active in nft So, all of a sudden, when you group all those, the what, because we've got that breadth of capability across all those things that we mentioned, that's the reason why we have this really super deep and super broad
1: institutional participation. Mm. And the one thing I'd like to highlight there, because I think Brett's framing beyond just sort of trade, finance, and store of all of the additional sort of elements of staking and governance and and all those sorts of things is critically important because what we found is while many of the traditional players begin their crypto journey with very liquid assets, the pace at which they're evolving into looking at crypto as an asset class with many, many different interesting assets is happening at a pace that I personally would not have predicted but is is happening exponentially, I think. And it's it's something that one of the reasons I think Coinbase has been successful is because of a crypto broad approach to crypto and being crypto dedicated. In other words, this is all that we do. We go 10 miles deep in terms of the assets and, and technology and ability to understand blockchains at a pretty molecular level and breadth of asset support and so forth. And so when an institution is looking to enter the space, while I think their journey... Begins with Bitcoin, Ethereum. You'd be surprised. It's usually, you know, weeks or months before we're having a much broader conversation about the asset class and where and how to gather data on it and how to trade and how to participate in DeFi and and these sorts of things. And so, you know, for us, staying close to the frontier of what's happening at crypto is actually turning out to be a key enabler for, you know, bringing institutions into the space because they're looking for a partner who's going to you know, be there for the long term, not just to help them buy Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point. The client's interest can intensify, they can ebb, they can flow. When we think about the buckets that Brett kind of delineated for us, you know, on a given week, it can change which bucket is sort of the the hot bucket. If we look back early in the year, maybe the one hot bucket was corporates allocating to Bitcoin. Now, maybe the new hot bucket is large firms looking to figure out how they can get into NFTs and they're looking to Coinbase as a trusted publicly traded firm to create some sort of solution in some ways it's kind of sometimes a moving target and it's trying to figure out how do we zero in on something deliver a solution that the client will be able to execute on so let's look at some of those buckets the allocation of bitcoin as an inflation hedge for publicly traded firms. That was kind of the hot narrative going into the beginning of the year. It seemed to have slowed down after the, the crash, the, the drawdown in the beginning of the year. Has that picked up? What are firms telling you guys about their interest in, in making a move like that? I haven't seen any drop in demand whatsoever. <laughs> in, in fact,
2: institutions are slow-moving giants, right? So once they begin to point in a direction a little bit of price volatility is not to, not going to dissuade them from continuing to to move forward. And so, as an example to support that, you can look at trade volumes, you know, popping up and down every day, but the more interesting thing for me is is the, you know, pipeline. So, we on that introducing broker bucket for us, we've now filled out I think over 250 RFPs, requests for proposals for various institutions to use our infrastructure to get involved in crypto. And so if you think through what is required, asked and answered, I think we have a new record. The last one, the most recent RFP that came in was uh, 800 questions long. (laughs) So so just think through uh, what it takes, first of all, to answer 800 questions and think through how many people are working through and processing through. What are what are some of the, the questions
0: answers. that they have? What, it's what, everything, they- and this
2: is kind of goes back to my earlier point of being purpose built to serve institutions, right? So it's it's operational diagrams, it's understanding exactly how security works. How how do
0: you ape into a penguin? <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah, um, and, and so where
2: I land back on on this point that you you called out before of the ten of the top hundred largest hedge funds in the world are are our clients. Those hedge fund clients have have put us through super intense due diligence. <laughs> they but keep you, you up late. Oh, late! And you know, every time they ask one question, one question becomes thirty questions, and and ten more diagrams, and ten more you know answers of, of very nuanced and specific things. And so, part of the reason why in our second quarter results we actually made that disclosure and, and named a few people is if you put yourself in the shoes of that hedge fund and that team that is making the bold decision to deploy, you know, client capital into this space. It's a brave and bold and and new thing. And you're going to want to know that you're, if you've gone through that, you've made your assessment and you've chosen Coinbase as the place that, that you want to deploy capital exclusively. There's a point in time where you kind of want to know, is anyone else doing this? (laughs) Am I in good company? And so it's a really important thing to uh, have been able to disclose that, you know, Ten of the top two hundred have chosen us exclusively in most cases, and you know they're more coming, and so I think yeah. that's a really good flag that actually goes counter to the notion that you know institutional adoption sort of ebbs and flows with the rises and fall of, of Bitcoin price. I think that the, the light bulb's gone on beyond just Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, because so that's a moment in time, that's a passing, that's that's an impulse, uh, that's not a long term. You know, decision to want to be active in, in the crypto space.
0: Yeah, and not every sort of hedge fund is like interested in you know inflation hedge like assets like a gold or playing in a gold or or something like that. You look at something like 0.72, Steve Cohen. You know, he has kind of come out and said that he's not really interested in Bitcoin. He's kind of one of the one of the few examples in the market that is looking to kind of leapfrog into some of the more esoteric long tail. DeFi assets, are you seeing that more often? Are you seeing, you know, large hedge funds looking to figure out how to play in more low cap things like, well, not low cap anymore, but sushi or the Solanas of the world or the food coins? How do they get interested in that to ascertain some of those yields out there through a Coinbase? So... I'm reminded of this one conversation I had
2: with a a prominent hedge fund founder who's now entered the space in pretty big size. And what what he said to me was, I can't believe I missed the first chapter of this. You know, I I can't believe I wasn't early in Bitcoin, but I've completely missed the trade. So now I'm convinced that, you know, digital adoption, crypto adoption is unstoppable. And so I'm going to focus my sights on DeFi and I'm going to win the next chapter of this. And so that's a, a comment that I, I remember. Greg, what, what observations do you have?
1: Yeah, I think my, the other thing I would observe there, Frank, is that every one of these conversations, at least with a lot of the funds that you're of the sort that you're mentioning, begin with the need for data and our, our recent acquisition of SKU together with the Coinbase analytics product, which is, which we built for our use internally to help track blockchain activity. Give us some some real assets to begin the data conversation, which I think is going to be an important part of the overall institutional narrative and product development feature set going forward. Because this is, I think they're not picking out particular assets; they're really looking for all of the data to be able to derive where the biggest opportunity set is, and that's something we're we're excited about. You know, as a, as a future product direction and something in the sort of watch the space will be building on top of the prime platform in terms of delivering some of those things as well as potentially, you know, offering data as a, as a service.
0: But they're definitely interested in branching out. I mean, that was kind of evident in the fact that Ethereum volumes top Bitcoin volumes for at least the first time that you guys have recorded or kept track of such data, probably in history, that's probably going to continue. And I wouldn't be surprised if, Bitcoin becomes a smaller share of institutional volumes.
2: So here's a stat. I would say that these are my estimations, but 75% of our hedge fund clients own more than just BTC. Of those that own more than BTC, I would say 80% of them own ETH. And of that population that owns Bitcoin and ETH, I would say 50% of that population own at least five different cryptocurrencies. and all that's happened in the course of a year Mm. so so there's definitely evidence of it's not necessarily moving away from bitcoin because i think their activities continue to scale there but it's actually becoming interested in the more fulsome formation of the crypto marketplace and understanding how you know DeFi works and how they can earn interest and on compound and there's a lot there's a lot of curiosity there they have yet to deploy a huge amount of capital but there's a lot of curiosity to see like which of the layer one protocols is going to wind up winning. So so a lot, lot of intense. Voting. I'm
0: opening up my Coinbase Pro account. Which ones are they about to deploy huge amounts of capital towards? <laughs> is it one inch? Blink twice if it's one inch.
1: <laughs> and the other observation I would make here, and Brett can probably comment on this better than I can. But I, I think as has been widely reported, I you know, crypto has historically been long of crypto and short of fiat, uh, and I think that's led to many of the things we've seen in the rates market. And I think part of what's attracting some of the corners of the hedge fund market and credit-oriented hedge funds is participating in uh. Uh, lending, whether that's in a wholesale capacity and some of the DeFi protocols that Brett's mentioned. And so that's been overall an interesting part of the financing story here as well. And i think a key development for the maturation of of the space and of rates in the space and and leading to a better experience for the end client
0: back is the digital wallet of the future empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at Backed, Bakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go, 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, Connect your bank account and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. And interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere maybe the best part is exodus is integrated with the trezor hardware wallet making advanced security easy for everyone download exodus at exodus.com today so how does coinbase play a role in sort of maturizing the market structure of crypto's credit market?
2: Try and take a a crack at that. I I think that there are there's sort of micro-lending, lending lending to individuals, and there's also lending to institutions. And in the way I think about it, there's sort of a a retail and a wholesale uh, lending markets that exist. There are already some platforms that sort of play in both places, like BlockFi, for example. But I I do think that we're going to have a more fulsome formation of the wholesale market. And so what I, mean, what I mean by that is uh, I think Coinbase can play a role in, in bringing in new financing counterparties that are basically long cash and are willing to lend against you know, Bitcoin balances or others in large size. On the other side of that is you know, who has a need for cash? I can't speak to the, the retail side of the platform. It's not where I'm focused. But on, on the institutional side, there's still quite a lot of demand because no one wants to run, at least in, in hedge fund land, no one wants to run... An unlevered strategy, um, and so there's a demand. You know, if a trader has been given capital allocation, you know, within a multi-strat hedge fund of you know X hundred million, they're not in many cases able to tap the central treasury, the hedge fund, to then lever that up four times or three times or one and a half times, whatever it is. And so, I think Coinbase can play a role in its prime financing business to actually set up both a combination of wholesale and retail. I do also think that there's a nice uh, symbiotic relationship that can exist between. The retail borrowing, and lending, and the and the institutional side as as well, and so if you look for an analog, you know you just look you can look into like today's banking, right? <laughs> you look at on demand deposits and retail banking and corporate banking and you know investment banking, and you see how centralized treasuries can facilitate the needs for borrowing, and lending at scale, serving both you know retail and institutional clients.
0: How do you think, or rather, how are clients coming to you and looking to leverage? decentralized finance technology to improve their existing systems. We've reported on firms like Robinhood holding conversations with Uniswap Labs to leverage AMMs in addition to centralized market makers. When we think about that fourth kind of miscellaneous bucket, I imagine that might fit into that category. How does Coinbase help firms tap into DeFi, whether it's just getting those juicy yields parking some USDC into a lending protocol, or even kind of integrating some of that technology into their own systems to sort of tap into increased liquidity or whatever have you. How does Coinbase facilitate some of that stuff?
1: That's a great question, and certainly a a huge focus for us. And I think it comes in a few forms, Frank, and I'll I'll focus more on the institutional side of things, where I think our, our focus right now is making sure that users can access DeFi from their custody accounts and to make it easy to, to interact with and sign transactions for and to participate in DeFi protocols and to make it a safer experience that it might otherwise be, you know, with, you know, existing browser extensions and things like that. And I, it is what we hear as being the greatest need followed by, I think, access to DEX liquidity and DEX aggregation, which I think will be a, a fast follow for us. But I think. Safe access to participate in DeFi through something that is a qualified custodian in the form of our Coinbase Trust Co is what we understand to be the greatest need from clients and where on the institutional side we're focused most first.
2: Here are a couple more observations. There's clearly a huge amount of curiosity and interest in in DeFi. I think there are two challenges for people who are managing other people's money to deploy capital there directly. And that's the lack of KYC and AML. And then the second one is an inability for them to assess protocol risk. And so those are two sort of limitations, in my view, of having an equivalent amount of capital be, be directly invested in DeFi. So herein comes like an interesting, and, and this is why I'm I believe the derivative market and intermediation will be a part of our future. Think through you know total return swaps and think through. Uh, an arrangement where a fund or someone else wants to participate in DeFi, but doesn't want to take all the risk. And if they don't want to take all the risk, they might not get all the revenue. So you can think through arrangements where we can participate or pass through uh, DeFi returns and take certain risks ourselves and pass on certain risks to end clients. And so I don't want to go deeper than that, but we're trying to, the, the point here is we're trying to find creative You're trying ways to create
0: like a, a sort of a purpose-built risk management ecosystem for DeFi, whether that leans in on derivatives or other capabilities, just something that you know they'll have all these different levers to get to the risk tolerance that they want.
2: That's exactly right. And so that's why I think it's a little bit no asset class that I've dealt in only has an on or off switch, right? <laughs> like I, I bought it or I sold it. <laughs> mm. If you think through the tax consequence of doing that, You don't even want to be buying and selling it as frequently as that, but you do want to be able to, you know, manage your risk profile, you know, through options or swaps, or have corridors or do clever things to be able to to not just be sort of in a huddle sort of position. And so the more and more capital that will come in, the more and more we'll see the demand for being able to manage that risk profile through familiar instruments, a la swaps, options, and, and and futures.
0: I mean, that kind of next stage of the Coinbase institutional business is going to make it look, it's going to be harder for me to report on the company because it's going to be all these different things going on in the background, but it's going to make things a whole lot more complex. You're going to look less like a crypto exchange and more like more like a financial services company getting closer to like what the inside of a bank looks like.
1: I think that's right, Frank. I, th- I would, you know, in the future, think of Coinbase in a, in a few large pillars, obviously the retail pillar, the, the institutional one, which you're reporting on and Brett's describing, and then the exchange, really, we think of as, as one of the places we go to source liquidity from, but, but its own standalone business and activity. I think we're, we're moving away from the designation of Coinbase as an exchange and being a, a much more complex organization, as you're describing.
2: I was just going to say, Adam... Think my intention is for us to look like a bank at all, actually. Uh, I think we want to be something different, which is to be able to use some of the tools and technology we were familiar with, or at least that clients use, but then apply them and create them in sort of new ways. I know that's a little bit vague, but I think we're focused on the future of finance and DeFi and unless on, you know, a copycat, you know, trading floor to some, you know, investment bank. So I don't know exactly what we'll look like. But I think we'll find new ways to do new things would be the theme.
0: what does the infrastructure look like, Greg? How is it different maybe from the sort of traditional banking world that Brett is trying to sort of distance himself from a bit? (laughs) Under the hood, does it look much different?
1: The bridge to come across into the space, sort of the bridge from traditional finance into the crypto ecosystem, in some ways looks similar, how you go about trading in a stealthy manner, how you go about aggregating access to exchanges, all of those things would remind you of those activities in other areas. They're different in that they're all cloud native and they're developed in more modern, facile ways, but, but they look similar. In the forward, as we're thinking about the future of asset management, for example, or we're thinking about the future of ETFs, or we're thinking about the future of what providing liquidity in an AMM looks like, is where, to Brett's point, these activities look entirely different than anything you would find on a trading force. So it's really at the frontier and what's happening in DeFi and so forth, and the the bridge into the next version of crypto, where things begin to look very, very different. Mm. Um, and it's a place where, as a firm, we're aggressively hiring for people that have smart contract, you know, experience and who are participating and really deep, deep crypto expertise to make sure that Coinbase is leading the frontier of that. And that's where I think the institutional business begins to transform into the next iteration, where, for example, how margin works in that environment may look entirely different than if you opened up the hood of a traditional prime broker. Those are some of the areas that we're thinking about and ideating about.
0: Because you're leveraging smart contracts?
1: Correct. For example...
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, what does that look
1: like? I'm throwing that out as a way in which this potentially looks very, very different in the future from a finance 1.0 clone of those activities into the crypto space. In a way in which I think, to the point we made earlier, sorry to interrupt, Frank, but I, I do think that being crypto dedicated as a company and having a broad approach to the entire space as opposed to being very... Focused on a particular asset or being trying to clone an old business model, I think is going to set Coinbase apart uh, in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you guys just have um, you know deeper, deeper business. I don't know where else you would really go. Maybe Genesis, but you guys are kind of you guys have really taken the lead on the institutional side in many different respects. What about what about this idea of like sort of aggregating liquidity? One of the questions that you know, kind of hung over the acquisition of Togomi was, will we still be able to sort of be this neutral vector, if Mm -hmm. you will? Have other market participants started to get afraid of you guys? Are they still taking your flow with open arms? That's been
1: fascinating, Frank. It's The answer is yes, still taking flow with open arms. And in fact, We're having the conversations one would want to have, which is, how do we get more of it? And we're starting to build a framework around which we go to each participant. Rebates. Right, rebates. Which we say, here's our measurement of your marketplace, including our own, by the way. So we have this Mm -hmm. conversation with our own exchange to say, hey, here's...
0: It's kind of like the Spider-Man meme where the one guy... (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, Here's the quality of flow we see. Here's Here's the way we measure your performance. And that's both for market makers and for other exchanges that we all hold accountable. And we put into a framework where we now have a way to measure their performance and we route accordingly. And I think that the various exchanges have appreciated that framework and feedback, which has been great from our point of view. Um,
2: mm. You know, a tangential point on liquidity and is that when I think through, Frank, the evolution of the size, the average size of a deployment of capital from a new entrant into crypto, it keeps increasing and stepping up. And part of the reason why it does is traditional risk management would say, well, you know, I own a lot of this stock. How many days of liquidity do I own of it? And you sort of size your position relative to the speed with which you can get out and get out at you know, with what price impact. And so... The thing that's been super helpful is actually volatility has not been a bad thing because volatility with a lot of liquidity at the same time is a good thing, right? Because you're showing that even you know as we test new 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 limits or low limits or on the way down, you have the ability to continue to to trade at scale at all times, and when you can do that, uh, then you can as a risk manager on the buy side you can substantiate and argue for. A bigger capital allocation to the asset class, right? And so, even some of that came up in terms of you saw a public company that did like a liquidation to you know prove to everyone that, that you know they they can get out uh, without a lot of price impact in big chunks. And that's so this persistence of liquidity, this depth of liquidity, even with volatility, is a good thing for more, to attract more capital, institutional capital, uh, into crypto.
0: So that's an interesting point, Brett, that I feel like people don't really touch on, which is, you know, yes, crypto is very volatile, but there's also lots of liquidity, and the fact that this market trades twenty four seven kind of to a degree balances out some of the issues might you might have with that volatility.
2: Yeah, just think through the the craziness we saw on, you know, this last you know challenge that Robin had had on. <laughs> Um, uh, on you know, stock market that would open and close and have huge you know, buying pressure or selling pressure every time the thing opened and closed and then crazy volatility, right? The really, really awesome thing about a 24-7 market is you know where you stand at all times. You can always be risk managing. You can always be trimming, adding, doing different things. So you don't have these sort of hold your breath moments <laughs> on the open and close and, and see what happens. And so it's a fantastic... It's it's tiring for my trading team. I've got a bunch of traders that are deployed geographically around the world that take, you know, know, weeks. How many guys
0: have now? How many do you guys have now? Um, probably I think probably 14, 15 at this point. Um, and so
2: they're able to you know meet client demand at all times. So 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 running a 24-7 operation, by the way, is a different, just as a personal reflection, different challenge to to running a business that opens and closes. But but again, the, the point being, I think that the market structure of crypto, having depth of liquidity globally, twenty four seven, is an amazing development uh, that will wind up attracting more and more capital. And and we get caught up too often in just the volatility part of that. And mm-hmm. and we don't see the more fulsome picture of that. It, it's good to be able to transact that size at any point in time. It's fundamentally different from most other markets.
0: I want to. Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't spend the last six minutes on. Something that's very interesting to me and that I've fallen deep down into the rabbit hole for NFTs. You guys uh, have a lot of hedge fund clients. Are any investors looking to figure out, you know, how can I, you know, people are making a lot of money. Like a lot of the anonymous Twitter accounts that, you know, were working at McDonald's not too long ago or now they're, uh, it almost is reminiscent of the housing market when, you know, you, your taxicab driver had like seven condos and made a lot of money. But are the institutional folks interested in this? Do they see the amount of money being made and trying to figure out how they can get involved or or not so much? They're mostly involved, not so
2: much in, in purchasing the NFTs themselves in with an expectation that the rise in value. I've got some people personally that spend you know, two hours a day on OpenSea trying to figure out what to buy. I tried to buy, by the way, I was, inter- I, I was curious on buying a CryptoPunk. Uh, I was flabbergasted by the price, by the way. Where most of the energy is currently being spent now in institutions are, I've got an amazing amount of sports franchises of every kind you can imagine calling to say, I think this is has the potential to transform my business. It may also change my relationship as the owner of the sports franchise with the players themselves. And so there's a, there's a lot of work going into trying to figure out how NFTs will fundamentally disrupt sports franchises the relationships between fans and the players fans and the teams there's a lot of sort of nuance associated with how i think that market will form a couple of the funds are thinking about like which protocols they should own as a consequence you know is it more of a protocol play than it is you know buying an nft play and so that's where i see the thrust of the energy is trying to figure out what the disruption is of nfts to different yeah. industries or
0: when yeah. next token drop yeah yeah when open C token that's what i'm that's what i'm wondering had them on the show they didn't really give a good answer um <laughs> well i want to be respectful of your guys's time but i i guess we'll sort of close with one question you know maybe what you're most excited about for the next six months to the end of the year
1: you know i would say generally frank i'm i'm excited to see continued growth in the institutional space a continued amount of interest the entrance of larger new players you know sovereign wealth capital etc i would remark that just going back to how we started just how fast this is moving and i think about it was just over a year ago that the Dagomi acquisition took place and how much has happened since then in less than a year really is absolutely remarkable so i think about what can happen in the next six months and it feels like just about anything is possible, if you consider you know the amount of institutional capital that entered in the past six months. So I'm I'm looking forward uh, to continued growth in the space and uh, continued uh, building out of our prime platform.
0: Very exciting derivatives, the
2: big D. <laughs> um, I'm excited for the power of the platform. I think you know Greg and the team builds it, and then we have the. The most fun job of all, which is, is to activate clients. And so just going back to my observation when I first got here, it was more like custody sales than anything else. Now it's buy, sell, store, stake, finance data, commerce, earn, analytics, and who knows what's gonna happen. You know, now we're adding DeFi, NFT, and all of a sudden, when you have that's the power of the platform. And I think that, that it continues to bring in a very eclectic mix of types of institutions. In large size it's not small institutions that are coming it's big ones mm. and so i'm just excited i'm excited for the industry uh, because you know the rising tide shall hopefully lift all boats i'm excited for the for the industry as a whole i'm excited for coinbase specifically as well in terms of the growth of the power of the platform
0: gotcha well listen brett greg this has been a lot of fun it flew by Without further ado, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Happy to. Frank, you're you're awesome. I just want
2: to say thanks for all that you do for for the industry, for us, for everyone. Uh, You're amazing. Been been a listener for a long time now. Uh, Thank you so much for having us on.
1: Second that. Thanks for having us, Frank. Great
2: seeing you.
0: All right. We'll be back with you guys again. Thanks for listening to the show. Talk to you all soon.